Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. I'm Max Lewis, and today we're joined by journalist and author Paddy Manning, talking about his new book, Body Count, How Climate Change is Killing Us, which goes over some of Australia's worst climate disasters to put a human face on the lives impacted and send a grim message to the rest of the world. The time to act is right now. Paddy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Max. So you've been a professional journalist for the past 15 years, covering a wide range of topics, and you've also written two political memoirs and two books on the mining industry. What drew you to write a book about the climate crisis that we're facing in Australia? Yeah, actually, it's been longer than that. I've been 20-something years by now, and um, I've had a long interest in, in climate change. I used to write a column when I was on the business desk at the Sydney Morning Herald called uh, GBiz for, for green business. And uh, yeah, right at the very beginning of my career, I launched a, a, a magazine called Ethical Investor. And all the way through, I've been interested in yeah climate change and how the risks it poses and how people deal with it. And, you know, basically, there's a thread, a climate thread that runs through um, all of the four previous books I've written. So uh, if I'm writing about um, the coal seam gas industry and fracking, there's a climate angle there. If I write about a coal miner, Nathan Tinkler, there's a climate angle there. If I write about Malcolm Turnbull, who staked his leadership on uh, willingness to act on climate change, there's a climate angle there. And also if I write about the history of the Greens, there's a climate angle. So all the way through, there's a kind of thread that I've been pulling on um, which is why is Australia uh, finding it so hard to deal with climate change? Mm, and how different was the process of writing Body Count as opposed to your previous books? Uh, it was very different because I've decided, uh, sort of, my approach was this time to try and cut through. I think a lot of people in the climate debate are bored of the facts and the statistics, the you know, degrees Celsius rise or the parts per million of CO2 um, or the percentage reductions in emissions that we need to see. All of these things, I think, have kind of turned into a blur and have become part of a kind of confusion in the public mind about climate change and what needs to happen and, uh, and what the real risks are. And I decided in this case that I would try and tell the story of climate change through by interviewing the people who in a way have suffered the most from it mm. because they've lost family or loved ones to you know extreme weather events uh, diseases other causes that are linked directly or indirectly to global warming and that is a, a sort of random sample if you like of of ordinary Australians who um, you know whether they're uh, at the you know Black Saturday bushfires or the uh, Queensland floods of 2011, or um, you know uh, suffering a heat wave in Sydney, or thunderstorm Astra outbreak in Melbourne. You know these are, or over the Black Summer, in fact. Um, you know, including from you know you know smoke from the bushfires that we saw, uh, and I've interviewed uh, family who lost their 
mother and wife uh, in in Canberra when Canberra had the worst air quality in the world. And so all of these linked one way or another um, to global warming. And uh, and I've tried to tell the story through through their eyes um, by talking to them. And they've got um, you know all their own views and and doubts and beliefs about climate change. And I've tried to just tell those uh, exactly as they were told to me. But I think by pulling all those stories together, it does provide a picture of, of exactly what the subtitle says, how climate change is killing us. And, uh, and I think that's not recognised in the general debate about climate uh, that we have, which kind of talks about it as though it's about electricity prices. And, you know, it's a global problem that's a long way off. Um, I think that's not, no longer the reality. And what was that like for you, hearing so many harrowing experiences from such a wide range of people? You know, in some ways it was surprising uh, the impact that it did have on me um, because I kind of bowled into it not knowing um, whether people would talk to me uh, or not or whether they would, um, you know, be uniformly sceptical about um, the connection between the death of you know their loved one and um, global warming, or how they would view it. Uh, so I suppose my kind of focus initially was on will I be able to talk to anyone um, at all? And so when I whether I was rocking up to you know a small town in the middle of Tasmania, or going to Townsville in the wake of the Townsville floods, or um, you know Dungog in New South Wales to try and find relatives of the, you know, three people that died in the floods there in 2015, going to South Australia to try and, you know, after um, Dick and Clayton Lang died on Kangaroo Island, um, a story that got national attention, going to the funeral, not knowing. You know, my initial anxiety was sort of, as a journalist, was focused on, oh, will, will anyone talk to me? These are intensely personal events and questions that I'm asking. Um, this is a debate where, you know, very often in the wake of these natural disasters, you know, it's seen as somehow opportunistic or politicising to raise the question of climate change and journalists avoid it. Mm. Uh, I think that's actually, by the way, that's changing. But then what I found when actually people started telling me their stories was not only that it, they were willing to talk, but that um, not everyone. I mean, I got, I got plenty of people saying that they didn't want to talk to me. But I also found that their stories were um, not only had an emotional impact, um, as you would expect, but that, but that they were inspiring um, in the way that communities, um, families um, rally around, um, help each other in times of crisis. And, uh, and so one thing I absolutely didn't expect, expect was to find that the process of writing this book inspired me, filled me with hope, um, actually, that, you know, when the chips are down, people do look after each other and that they will um, rally together. And, uh, and Australians, you know, are uh, a, a very resilient um, and community-minded uh, people. And I think we've seen that in the response to the pandemic. We see, you know, that Australians do rally together and look after each other and are, are capable of rising to a challenge. So I, I, find, I found it inspiring in a way that I, I didn't expect, expect at all. Hmm. Was there a particular story that you think resonated with you the most? You know, uh, there wasn't, no, there wasn't one. 
there were moments, there were images that I suppose I am left with that um, will stay with me forever. You know, I could rattle off half a dozen of those. It's like um, two brothers, Mark and Gerard Alford, telling me about how their dad stuck at the bottom of their A-frame house um, at La Trobe, um, you know, floated their mum on a mattress as the waters rose and um, held on so long that, you know, the muscle tore from his arm bone uh, until he couldn't hold on any longer and, you know, she drowned in their home um, in a flash flood that they just cannot understand, they still can't understand. I mean, it's a tragic story and, um, you know, luckily their father survived by going upstairs and was rescued by helicopter after, you know, it's a long, you know, eight hours through the night in freezing water. And, uh, you know, that's a story that stays with me. I mean, there are other stories, you know, from Black Saturday or from the Queensland floods that are already well known that readers will recognise, you know, that have a, uh, have an impact talking to someone like, you know, John Tyson about, you know, how he lost his wife and son in the Toowoomba flood. Donna and Jordan Rice, uh, tragic story. Um, you know, talking to Dale Ahern about how he lost his both parents at Spills Creek in Black Saturday. Um, talking to, um, you know, Elsa Vong and her two kids about how her partner Sam Lau died of Melbourne's thunderstorm asthma outbreak in 2016 on, in their lounge room. Um, and he was only a mild asthmatic, uh, and that event was a shock to the world. Mm. Um, Ten people um, dying in one outbreak hadn't, hadn't happened before anywhere. You know, talking to Peter Jackson about the um, death of his wife, Leonie, uh, uh, from melioidosis, um, tropical soil disease, brought up in the after the Townsville floods. I mean, all of these stories are um, incredibly powerful, sad stories. And yet in each case, what I've tried to do is talk to scientists and public health experts about how and why um, warming might be making events like that more likely or more severe. Uh, and in some cases, yeah, there really is now a proven connection um, to global warming that has taken, might have taken years for it to actually, for the science to come in. Yeah, I've, I've got about 15 different stories in there, which I hope will kind of represent the, the range of risks that we're facing as a result of, you know, runaway climate change. And you had been working on the book for some time before the unprecedented bushfires of the past summer, 2019 and 2020. How did that period of such, such unseen destruction shape your book? Well, it's interesting, yeah, because I started, I first had the idea and put it to a publisher in early 2017, but I had a couple, another book on the go, the book about the Greens, which then I got lost in and, and ended up um, running quite late because I did a hell of a lot of research on it. I only started, finally, work on this um, body count book, uh, you know, in sort of middle 19. Very quickly, it became obvious that um, we were heading into uh, a fire season like we hadn't seen before, mm. and um, both in terms of how early it was starting and the kind of places that were burning. And some of the very earliest interviews I did, people were saying, this summer is going to be terrible. Sure enough, as I was writing it, uh, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, that, again, became a global story um, of how Australia was, you know, I hesitate to use a cliche, um, 
canary in the coal mine for the rest of the world on climate change. But, um, you know, when we were sending up a smoke plume that was circling the planet um, and, you know, you had images of people being evacuated by the military from, you know, the Victorian coast of Malakuta there, you know, that was, that was, a, that was a global story. And, uh, and then, and then uh, followed up by the pandemic, which um, as I started to research, uh, and you would have seen, you know, a series of articles have started to come out too about the connections between warming and and what what um, health experts call a you know new age of pandemics. Mm. Um, in that, a lot of the drivers of warming um, are, are the same drivers that are bringing you know um, humans and animals together. That's overpopulation. That's overdevelopment, deforestation. You know, urbanisation. These um, mega trends have been identified for a long time, uh, uh, including by an Australian pioneer, um, Tony McMichael, who I think has been under whose contribution I think has been under recognised, but is up there with um, you know Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring in the sixties. You know, as a as a real pioneer of the connections between um, climate change and and human health, uh, the risks you know from warming um, to human health. You know, the Black Summer and, ne- and then the pandemic have inevitably kind of fed into and fueled the, the book um, in a way that, of course, I had no, I, I could not have anticipated um, when I began it. Hmm. And from your perspective, do you think that the way that Australia and I guess the world is dealing with the current pandemic, do you think that's sort of a foreshadowing for how we might deal with a catastrophic climate disaster? Well, you know, there are many, um, you know, there are some obvious kind of lessons um, which I do in an epilogue try to draw out. Mm. You know, uh, we've just shown in our response to the pandemic, including from, um, you know, a conservative um, coalition government, that the lessons are, you know, listen to the experts for a start. You know, the populist responses of, you know, Boris Johnson or, or Donald Trump are not the way to go. And um, and a science-led uh, response is what you is you know is the only way to it's the only way to beat the virus. Um, and there's an obvious you know argument that could be made there um, that we should do the same thing with with climate change. You know, there's an also an argument I think that, and I hope I try to make this in the book. You know, Australia has a very good track record on dealing with public health. In fact, our you know, our response to AIDS was world-leading. Our response on plain packaging for cigarettes, you know, as part of a tobacco control strategy has been world-leading. We were good on, we were, you know, early on seatbelts, early on drink driving laws. You know, we have, we have a proud history of putting the public health first. You know, we have a public, you know, a world-leading public health system in Medicare, but what we haven't done is educate the public, raise awareness about the health risks of climate change. And yet they are very real and have been identified for a long time. And while they've taken, you know, the issue has taken a bit of a back seat during the pandemic, I think that it's going to come, you know, an awareness of this is going to come back with a vengeance when the virus is back under control. I think we saw evidence of that after the first wave um, of the you know infections, um, and it, when it looked like Australia really had kind of got COVID nineteen beat, um, now it doesn't feel like it. You know, as we speak at the end of July, with you know Victorian 
infection numbers continuing to climb, but we are heading into another bushfire season. We are about to receive recommendations at the end of August from the Bushfires Royal Commission. You know, I think there will be, again, a focus on on tackling this problem, and I think we will have learned a lot from the response to the pandemic about how we can make changes quickly, that the role of the, that the, gov- that the government um, has an enormous role to play. It's not a question of leaving it to the market. Um, and that the best approach is to listen to the science and the experts. Uh, and, uh, and yes, I, so I'm hopeful that, um, although I haven't dedicated to the book in any way to um, trying to provide answers, I'm just saying these are the risks that we're facing and these are, this is the toll that climate change is already taking. I'm, I'm hopeful that we, we will learn something out of this pandemic and, um, and I hope that the book makes a contribution to raising the awareness about the health risks of climate change. Mm, well, on that note of hope, the book does touch on the silver lining of recent climate disasters, such as the fact that more people are believing in it and talking about it and that these events have, as you said, brought communities and people together. How do you think that we can stay hopeful as the climate crisis inevitably gets worse over the years? That's tough, because it is going to get worse. Mm. And the news is worse almost every single day. And even if Australia you know, does um, finally get cracking on you know, reducing our emissions... Um, there still is a lot of warming that's locked into the system, which is yet to come. You know, it's going to take decades, if not centuries, to get the warming problem under control. And so one of the lessons that a lot of the experts that I speak to, um, one of the lessons that they want to draw from these disasters that we keep having uh, on a, you know, seemingly getting worse and more frequent. The lesson that they want to draw is that we can do a lot to reduce our risk, you know, our risk to human life and property um, by building, you know, stopping, for example, stop building on floodplains, stop building in fire-prone areas, you know, stop building hot boxes that are going to not cope with heat waves. There are early warning systems that can be improved and there are, you know, so for example, the thunderstorm asthma outbreak in Melbourne, there was no public warning of that. You know, uh, there were scientists at the time saying, um, you know, with the amount of weather we've had, the uh, so the amount of wet weather we've had, you know, the amount of um, pollen, uh, you know, there was a risk there that was identifiable. And, uh, and so we can do a lot to make our community more resilient, but the first thing we have to do is identify the risk. And uh, at, the, at this stage, I think deliberately, because governments have not wanted to face up to the risks, um, I think the public remains un, unaware, you know, and confused, and confused about whether or not, um, you know, these risks are real. Whether I mean, people don't even agree yet that climate change is happening and is, and is man-made. You know, we haven't even got to first base um, and a gov- you know the role of the government, not just in um, in you know uh, raising awareness, but then in, in you know mitigating the risk, um, is is you know we're just so far behind. Mm. And I think state governments are starting to act and recognise that and realise that the federal um, 
the inability of federal politicians to come together on this issue is kind of been stuck there for a decade uh, at least and uh, and there's no sign of it changing. So, you know, they're beginning to um, act off their own bat, you know, and most, I mean, all states now have a zero emissions by 2050 goal and so forth. But look, I, yeah, I didn't, uh, I specifically didn't get into what are the answers. You know, all I did was wanted to talk to people and tell the story in their own, uh, in their own words of what happened to them, you know, and how they think, they, how they think and feel about it. Well, Paddy, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Max. It's a pleasure.